Come on, get your Bibles out and turn to the Gospel of Luke. I want to share just a few things that have become really the springboard off of this past week together, as well as last Sunday with Pastor Mike Ware being with us. Just a number of things that the Lord dropped into both uh, mine and my wife's spirit. You know, what's amazing to me is how we won't talk with each other, and then uh, suddenly we'll kind of look at each other and we'll start saying, you know, the Lord's been speaking to me about this or, or, or that, and then we find out that He's bringing us on the same page. And so I have a great confidence that probably as I begin to share some things with you this morning that uh, you will say, you know, that's been stirring in my heart too. And that's just a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in His church. Amen. As I mentioned, we had a great beginning of the week with our Network of Related Pastors Conference. Um, We had an incredible attendance all through the, the first part of the week. We had about 140, I think, was the final number of pastors and wives from all over the nation come here to Legacy Church. So that's, that's who we hosted, all of these pastors. Um, golly, from Michigan, uh, Minnesota, uh, Louisiana, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, of course, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Colorado, New York. I mean, I, I could go on and on. Isn't that amazing? They all converged on Charleston, South Carolina, And they were in this place. And my prayer was that all that passion and all that zeal as it would arrive here would would, uh, leave a residual anointing and a residual impact for us all. And I think it has. Um, And we want to be able to just kind of surf that wave, so to speak, uh, into our future. And I want to just say from both uh, Pastor Tracy and myself how proud we were and are of all of you. What an amazing week to see all the folks. When we introduced everybody that Wednesday night that had helped, I'm not sure I even knew how many people had been involved in all that took place through the week. And we just want to say thank you for the spirit of excellence that you've received. And I received so many compliments, and I hope many of you did too. I received so many compliments that it was just amazing that people literally coming wanted to be us. Isn't that kind of, I don't know, that's a little cool. They need to be more like Jesus, but it is kind of nice, you know, that they would like, you know, what you have. It's just nice to know that something good is going on and other people might really like to have that. And so I I was certainly grateful and a lot of the affirmation and the compliments as, as much as I get to receive them all and it makes me feel good, I am really aware of the fact that if it weren't for all of you, none of that would happen. And so uh, we appreciate you and we bless you. And I just want to say thank you. I mean, lives, pastors' lives. I told you this would happen, but I'm telling you, people were ready to quit. And they aren't quitting. I mean, you don't understand what goes out in the trenches sometimes. I mean, they're ready to throw in the towel and the towel got pulled back. And they're ready to go in the ring for another round. I mean, people who are needing to hear from God heard from the Lord. People who were just depleted and discouraged. And uh, to be able to know that they were riding in a van somewhere or they were down at a reception or they were here and maybe visiting with one of you and it just turned them around. You never know what a word, a moment, a song, you just never know when you're absolutely being used uh, to help either strengthen those that are in the kingdom or or, or literally propelling them into their next uh, facet of destiny. So... 
Uh, it may seem small to you, but it's a big thing to numbers of pastors who are going back to their churches this morning uh, because of what we were able to do here. So, again, I just, I love you, I love you, I love you. They could come, uh, whoever they are, could come and offer me some big mega church with millions of dollars. I want you to know with everything in my heart, I wouldn't trade you for anyone. You are the best. And I've said it and I'll say it again. I'm pastoring the church I've always dreamed of. So I'm happy to be right here. Now, I don't want to stay in a mall forever, but I am happy uh, to be here in Charleston, South Carolina. And we won't be here forever, will we? No, 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 no. We've got great things for the future. And today's message is birthed out of some of the things I heard the Lord say to me at conference. And of course, Pastor Mike was here and he was introduced to you and he's a part of our apostolic team and apostolic oversight for this local church. And for those of you that might not know what that means, we have three uh, pastors and wives who are, are our apostolic presbytery. They, they give oversight, they input us, they give us wisdom. And, and God forbid there should be crisis moments, but should crisis moments come, they were the ones that we would look to to help us navigate any crisis moments. And, and I, I don't know what other pastors do, but I'm just glad for it. Uh, I, I'm glad for covering, aren't you? I mean, everyone needs a pastor, everyone needs covering, and I'm glad we have that. Pastor Mike and uh, Jeannie Ware are two of those people that provide that. They give us encouragement, direction, even correction at times. If you don't think I get corrected, just wait till our apostolic oversight comes in, and you have no idea sometimes what goes on behind the scenes. So the key to all of it, though, is, is that you've got to have ears to hear, right? Come on, if so- counsel's no good to you if you aren't listening. People go run around and get counsel and it doesn't do them any good. You ought to just save everyone's time because you ain't listening. If you're getting counsel, don't just find counsel that agrees with you. Get good counsel. And it may not always agree with you. You've got to have ears to hear. You have to have humility to change. That's an amen moment too. Amen. You've got, you got to say, you know what? I need to change. Nobody's perfect. You ain't perfect. I'm not perfect. Can we just settle that now and just say no one's perfect? So we got to have humility to change along the way. And let me just say this. This is, this is a key point, at least in our household. you got to have the transparency to share that with other folk. Because if you aren't honest, it does no one else any good. Just to hear your victory stories doesn't do anybody any good. I'm glad you're in victory, and I'm glad to hear your victory stories. You would think, by the way, some people share, they never have a tough moment. And, and, and they're just prideful, and they won't. They won't share what's going on in their life because they're afraid people will think less of them. Listen, we all know you ain't perfect. Just admit it, that there are things that just, they they aren't working out. You aren't perfect. And you just need to own up and say, hey, this is is an area God is giving me the victory in. I may not be there, but I'm going to get the victory in this area. But right now, it's a battlefield. And, and you know what? God can do a lot with that. That's what humility looks like. Humility is when you say, I was wrong. You know, I wrote a book. It's still back there. And I'm, 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 I'm waiting for the timing. And, and my wife was asking me the other night at dinner uh, with some pastors. She was saying, honey, honey, what was the name of that book you wrote? And the title of the book was, I Am a Jerk. That's the title of the book. And the reason is, is that sometimes you are. And if you'll just own up to it, uh, people will actually, I think, respect you even more. Now, 
in my life, I want to be a dot connector. Now, wh- you've heard me say this before, a dot connector. You know, you, you've seen kids have those little coloring books where they connect the dots and it turns into a picture. And I used to love having those connect the dot books to go on vacation. Like you'd ride around in the car and you'd get a new coloring book to go down the road in a car. And uh, we'd connect the dots. My, my folks would get us one of those and it turned into this picture. And, and we'd burn through one of those books, you know, uh, driving around on vacation. Well... The key is you'll never get the picture that is provided for you unless you connect the dots in that picture. You're following me. This is pretty simple. You will never get the picture that God has for your life unless you learn how to connect some dots in your life. You can know a lot of things. In fact, there are lots of people that know little bits of truth here and there and everywhere, but they haven't learned to connect the dots. And, and so I want to be personally a dot connector, and I want you to be a dot connector. And one of my, just, this isn't in my notes, I was just kind of thinking about some of these things. Uh, my biggest aggravations uh, really come from those who won't or don't connect the dots. I have nearly a thousand, I think it's like 879 to be exact, Facebook friends. How many of you know I really don't have 879 friends? I'm just kidding when I say I have about two friends. No, um, but, but on Facebook anyway, it says I have 879 friends. Lots of them are pastors, uh, leaders. Lots of them are strong, mature Christians. And they post great stuff. I mean, I'm kind of a poster too. I, I'm sort of a blogger, writer, poster. If you're my Facebook friend, you'll know I'll, I'll get into these seasons where I'm just posting all these pithy things, you know. And I, and I just use it to engage the culture and, and get some things out there. But this is the thing that I started to think about the other day. I was just reading. I, I read these things that come out, but oftentimes I know their life. And I wonder if they have connected the dot between what they posted and what's going on in their life. It's a great post. But I want to just put a little comment underneath, you know, just type, I won't do this, but I just want to put a, have you really read what you just posted? Some of you know what I'm talking about here. You, you got something like that too. So this isn't exactly in my message. Uh, I, I did write a couple notes here. I just put down here, don't post on Facebook until you ask, have I connected this dot? Or at least admit to the reading world that you're convicted about it and you'll get it right because it just sounds like you're flying so far above everyone else but truth of the matter is you hadn't connected that dot yourself it's just it's just good information they're just posting these numbers and dots but you've not connected all these dots together and i and i simply say these things to say this to you is that i think inside of every human being i know inside of me it's true I don't like hypocrisy, and I don't like inconsistency. I don't like it in my own life. Now, I'm not, I'm not so presumptuous to think that there couldn't be some inconsistencies, and I'm quite sure if everybody had a few moments with me, you could probably point a few out that maybe are blind spots. Because I don't like them. I don't think anybody, you know, wakes up in the morning and aspires to the hypocrite. I don't think any of you got up this morning and said, ah, oh, let's see how much hypocrisy I can put out today. I don't think that's probably the case. But I, I, I detest that, and I want to be as consistent as is possible for a human being. I want to ask you, is, 
Is that in you too? Are you wanting and desiring to be as consistent as you can be as, as a human being, but more importantly, as a Christian? Can you say amen to that? You, you desire that. You desire consistency. So I want to share something with you this morning that is birthed out of that awareness today. That there are moments that all of us need some adjustment. And uh, the Lord this past week has done some adjusting on my screen. So if you have the Gospel of Luke open, Luke 14, I'm going to begin reading, beginning with verse 15, a parable that Jesus told. And I think it's really going to help us. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him, meaning Jesus, heard these things, he said to Jesus, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Uh, Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. Isn't that interesting? Even back in those days, they had to test drive their oxen, I guess, you know, see if they were going to work or not, just like we do our cars. I ask you to have me excused. Verse 20, still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and there's still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. And I just entitled... I think what will be mostly a visit with you today, maybe more than a message, just entitled it, Getting Back Our Burden. Getting Back Our Burden. Jesus told lots of parables. He told parables mostly to make sometimes what people miss, sometimes complicated things, sometimes, sometimes just to illuminate things, points concerning the kingdom with his disciples and even at times with people who were following him at large. As you begin to study parables, I have found that really they weren't meant to be mysterious. They were usually meant to help illuminate what it is that he was trying to communicate. This particular parable deals in its context when he was sharing this with Israel. Now, Israel in Jesus' day was reluctant, as you will recall, to respond to God's invitation through Jesus to be saved and to be, one more time, grafted into the kingdom. And so Jesus, as he's speaking to Israel, begins to use some excuses that the Jews of those days would use as they are turning down the invitation to come into the kingdom of God as it's alluded to as being this great banquet or this great party. And as this invitation goes out for this great party, no one wants to come to the party. And so it says here that the one who's throwing the party actually gets angry. 
In other words, you aren't responding to God's invitation. He's literally, the parable says, getting mad. Now, I thought to myself as I was reading this, this is a great parable to remember when you're looking for ways to stay away from the things of God. I mean, sometimes we'll come up with all kinds of excuses to stay away from the things of God. And it's just a really great parable. Now, it's not me. It's the parable. Jesus told it. I'm just reading it. That can irritate God. Now, you think about that, how much God has done for all of us, how much God wants to do for all of us, what he's provided for us, what he wants to give to us, and we don't want any part of it. Should it really surprise us that he gets irritated with that? So, so here in the parable, he's upset. And what he says is this, and now I'm just giving you a pastor paraphrase here. He says, forget them. Everybody that gave an excuse, just forget them and go everywhere you can. And let's just get the house. Let's just get the banquet. Let's just get the party filled up. In context, this meant if Israel is not going to respond... If the very ones that I wanted to reach, because Jesus told his disciples that when he came, he told them initially, do not go anywhere except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And if the ones that I came for won't respond to the party, if the ones that I really want in the party, if the ones that, that, I, I, that are my first choice to come to the party, if they aren't going to come to the party, then we'll just go to the second tier of guests, the Gentiles. And we'll just call in the Gentiles to the party. Calling all Gentiles. You're invited to the party. Now, I don't know if there are racially Jewish people here this morning. You may have Jewish blood in you, and that's great, and I'm glad you're here. But, but for me, I'm a Gentile. Now, number one is, I don't know how I feel about the fact that I was on God's B list. To the party, as a Gentile. But the good news is, is that I got on the list. And you got on the list. And we're all on the list. And he's calling us all to the party. Aren't you glad today that you made the list? But the broader point as I began to read this, and the one that the Lord began to speak to me about, is that God's full intention, hear me now, God's intention and his heart is that no one is lost and that all may have an opportunity to come to the party. And the party is called the kingdom of God. Now, that's a simple point. I would suppose most of us know that point in this room. I certainly know that God's heart is to reach and save people who are lost. God wants to reach people that are alienated from Him. I am a pastor. I get that point. I'm a Christian, and I should get that point. But the question becomes, how burdened am I over that point? That's what God began to deal with me about. You know, a little self-evaluation on occasion is good. Most of us aren't very good at it. But uh, at times that's the only evaluation we ever get is when we get honest enough to admit that uh, we may not be all that we think we are. Now, I was going through a little self-evaluation this week because, you know, this week was sort of like my church. When I say my church, it was an opportunity for me as a pastor to, to go to church and to be... Uh, resourced and refueled and refilled and and i began to just consider some things as all sorts of words were being shared with me and i began to realize that an evangelist is not my fivefold calling now you're gonna have to listen for just a moment and listen to the whole thing i understand that 
an evangelist is not my fivefold calling. You know, there are some people that are just graced by God that wherever they go, they win lost people. I mean, you just, you can put them in the middle of, of in, you, anywhere and they're just, they're just, their disposition is to share the gospel, to win lost people. And that's just, they're wired as an evangelist. And, and in Ephesians 4, it tells us that there are callings, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so it tells us there that not everyone is exactly wired that way. I'm not wired exactly that way, but I have seen people who are. And there's a part of me that really sort of uh, uh, yearns for that aspect of who they are in my own life. Because generally, that's not how I think when I'm walking and I'm just functioning in life in general. And I understand internally that even as a pastor of a local church, I give invitations, I invite the lost, or even the backslid to respond at the end of messages, to come and to give their hearts to the Lord. I, I give invitations, uh, but I don't know that I am an evangelist by calling or nature. I have led people to the Lord. I've sat in my living room. I've sat in other people's living room, shared the gospel, led people to the Lord. I think, I think all of us should lead people to the Lord. Amen. I don't think we reserve that for certain segments of the church. But I'm just acknowledging that some people do it probably better then I do it. It's not my initial spiritual disposition. Now, I hope that doesn't disappoint you. I, I suspect it probably doesn't surprise all of you. Truth be told, it's, it's the same for many of you. Many of you love the Lord. Many of you serve the Lord. Many of you want people to be saved. It's not a matter of your desire that people be saved. But to be honest with you, if you are put in a moment where you are going to share the gospel or you're going to lead somebody to Christ... That probably isn't your initial disposition. It could be fear. Maybe it's lack of training. Maybe it's not knowing what to do. There's all sorts of things that fall into that. But having said that, even though your disposition and maybe my disposition isn't by God's design or nature to instantly go to the evangelistic thrust, I want to say simply this. I believe it should be all of our dispositions to witness and to invite and to ask. I believe that. I don't think, I don't think because I, I, I don't feel as, as, uh, as predisposed as others to share the gospel. I don't think that makes me evil. I don't think that makes me backslid. I don't think it makes you evil or backslid. But I do think what it does mean for us on occasion is to take our pulse and see if we've got a burden. Do you have a burden? You may not be the best at it. You may not be good at it. You may not even know what you're doing. I'm just simply asking, is there a burden there at all? You see, for me, I love to disciple people. I, I like to teach people. I'm, I'm the dot connector, remember? I love that. I, I believe that in God's Word, you need dot connectors and teachers and disciplers. I love to engage the culture concerning Reformation. I mean, I mean give me a good Philistine reporter or journalist. And let me interact with them for a while. I would love that. I, I mean, that's just more of my disposition. But truth of the matter is, is that I cannot neglect the bottom line truth that God is on a mission. He is on a salvage mission. And His mission is that He wants to redeem this world. Jesus gave His life for a world. That that world might come to know Him. And somehow, whether we are internally disposed to the evangelistic thrust, all of us are a part 
of his worldwide mission, and that is somehow to get that word out and to get people to the party. Jesus used the word here, compel. I saw that and just leapt up to me. Compel, compel them to come in. That's a pretty strong word even in the English, isn't it? Compel them to come in. Like, what do you do? Like, tie them up? You know, just rope them and gag them and throw them in your car, your SUV, and and drag them in here and says, today is the day you're going to hear and you're going to get right with God. I wish it was even that easy. You'd be in trouble. Just, I'll tell you that right now. Don't do that. Compel, though. How do you compel? Well, it certainly carries the concept of invitation. We invite people. But you know, as I studied it, it really means more than an invitation in the way that you and I do invitations. It means that we're to entreat or we're to persuade. Now, we can't force, but the tone seems to indicate someone who has a burden. I really want you to be there. I really want you to come to the party. You don't want to miss the party. You don't want to miss being there. This is something that was designed just for you. I know it'll help you do that. Have you ever met somebody that had something they wanted you to go to and they were just like that? You really need to be here. This, oh, this could really help you. You really need to show up. I mean, if you heard this, it could change your life. Compel. Now, the word burden is the... I guess the old word, we really don't use that word much anymore. If any of you have kind of grown up around church for, especially, you know, kind of Pentecostal holiness kind of circles, we, we used burden for years, years, burden, got a burden. I got a burden for so-and-so. You know, so-and-so's, God's laid so-and-so on my heart and I got a burden for them. Burden is the word that we use to describe that feeling inside of concern. If you've ever felt concerned about someone And then it just began to work on you. It's what you call a burden. There was something inside of you that couldn't shake it. And I just want to challenge all of us here today. God's been working on me all of this week that we need to get our burden back. We need to get the concern back. I'm not saying that all of a sudden you're going to be thrusted out as a soul-winning person because you're going to just have to lead 10 people to the Lord every week lest you be castigated and cast out we're not saying that i'm just saying it all starts with a burden a burden we may not lead hundreds of people personally but i think it at least means that all of us embrace the need to get the invitation out and tell people you are invited to a party people oftentimes have asked me they said why do you play all this loud music and why do you play why do you do like church you do and there's the lights and the bright lights and all the things you do in church can i just share this with you when you go to heaven it's going to be a party i'll just tell you right up front if if you don't like loud music you're not going to like heaven if you don't like singing i don't know what you're going to do in heaven because there's going to be a lot of it it's going to be loud. It's going to be noisy. There's going to be voices that are, that are shouting. Think about what you do for a party right now just for your kids. You'll get special decorations. You'll get hats. You'll get noisemakers. You'll have whistles. You'll do all sorts of things in order to give an ambiance to the party. Let me tell you, just as we have the fruits of the kingdom, you know, in the kingdom there's healing and there's joy and all those things spill over into our lives and into church life a lot of this that i do here i don't need the lights i've often said this i don't need the lights i don't need the flashing stuff i don't need the whirly bird look back behind there. i mean i don't you know 
I don't need these things. I mean, put me in a gutted out Walmart with a few believers and I'll worship God there. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. But this, this is an earthly demonstration that we've got a party. We're going to a party. This world is not my home. I am in a foreign land doing my best to get as many people to the party because one of these days it's going to be the most, most important invitation and ticket you'll ever get is to that party. And so there ought to be some celebration and there ought to be some joy and there ought to be clapping and there ought to be shouting and there ought to be fun and it ought to just stir us to celebration. It's a party! And it's spilling over into where we are even right now. And I believe that it's incumbent upon us that we get a burden that God is not wanting any to miss the party. In fact, isn't it interesting that the only people in Jesus' day that didn't want to go to the party were the religious people? I'm going to dwell here. See, most of the time, anybody that comes to a church like ours and they don't like it is because they're religious. They've, they've got just enough religion in them to be dangerous. And, and, and it's not what they expected, it's not what they wanted, it's not what they grew up with, it's not this, it's not that. Hey, listen, I, I want to respect everybody's background. I respect certainly my heritage and what it did for me, and I want to respect yours. But the problem was, is the religious people of Jesus' day didn't want to come to the party. So what did he say? He said, well, then go out to those who are, who are clueless about the party. They're the ones, they're the ones that will respond to the invitation. And that's who we need to get our burden for. See, I've come to the conclusion, and I'm not here to make any theological statement about whether people are a part of a denomination or they're not a part of a denomination or what church they go to. I mean, they're warm-hearted, born-again believers in every fellowship every denomination let let me tell you i understand there's saved and backslid and unsaved people in every church in the charleston area this morning including probably ours so i understand that you can have whatever label on the can you want My, my issue isn't the label on the can my issue is what's inside the can and what's going on inside of there And that's the part that has to be changed. And we've got to get a burden again for people who God wants to be at the party. Now the question is, how do you get your burden back? How do you get this back? I'm just admitting to you, it's it's easy. I'm not making excuses. I'm not justifying anything. I'm just trying to be transparent. And, and, And this is what my wife and I believe. If we're transparent with you, then you'll be transparent with God and with others. Because there's too many things that hide in darkness. And you can't get healed, you can't get whole, and you can't get right when your pride is keeping things in the darkness. And until you own up that what everyone else probably already knows already, until you own up to it, I don't believe God can move in you in powerful ways. The reason He's healed our marriage and He's, and he's given us our joy back and He's caused this place to be a place of life and celebration. The reason God has done these things in our life and our children even serve the Lord. And I believe I can point to a lot of different things. I believe it's because there was a day we looked at each other and said, no more phony baloney. It's time for the phony baloney to cease. It's time to quit the plastic, quit the hiding, quit staying in the darkness, and we're just going to be out there. And, and, and what you see here is what you could go home with me and see. How we live in front of you is how we live at home.
And that's just how we're going to live because it's just we found out the easiest way to live. Because you don't have to worry about whether somebody sees this or that or the other. And I'm just believing that we got to get transparent again, legacy. And it starts with pastor by saying, I need to get my burden back again. Does that bother you? I hope it doesn't bother you. Because until I say that out loud, God won't restore it. Lord, I need my burden back again. And he's restoring it. He's suddenly giving me some strategies again. He's suddenly helping me again see what needs to be seen. And I'm going to share just a couple of things here about how you get your burden back. Because that's what God is doing in us. He's giving us our burden back again for those that need invited to the party. Number one, here's how you do it. You've got to begin to see the reality of the eternal realm. How many of you really see eternity? You see, it's interesting that the context of the parable here in verses 12 through 14, guys, can you post... That, it says, then he also said to him, this is before the parable now. He's kind of giving context to the parable he's about ready to share. He also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. Verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Next verse. And you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now there's a lot of things that he says in those verses that are kind of fascinating and interesting. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But the first thing that he reminds them is this. Is that there's going to come a day with regards to invitations to the party. There's going to come a day when all the, uh, the repayment and all the blessing and all the things that are there will take place in the eternal realm. In fact, the context is all about the future, the resurrection. Now, I know that Jesus is no doubt concerned about the here and now. But the here and now provides the impetus for the future. And to be compelled or to be burdened, I would think, would have to include a reminder that this world is not all there is and eternity is just around the corner for all of us. Amen? Now, I don't get many pictures or many visions, but I got a picture this week. And you know when God speaks to me in pictures or visions, I'm telling you, the Lord is at work. Because my mind works through words. And this was the picture I got. I saw us, the church, having a carnival. Now, imagine this. We're having a carnival. There are rides. There are the food stands, you know, where they're, they, where they're frying everything known to man. You know. They'll fry Twinkies and Snickers and pickles and, you know, they'll, just, they'll fry anything. And then there's all the entertainment, of course, at the fair. Nothing wrong with these things. But then as I was walking through the fair, I noticed every so often I would trip over something. And I'd look back and it would be a headstone. And I thought, what a strange place for a headstone here at the county fair. Why would you put headstones at a county fair. They don't seem to fit together. But as I continued, I began to realize that the more I walked, the more headstones I began to see. And suddenly it dawned on me that the headstones just weren't invading the county fair, but the county fair was on top of a cemetery. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you are playing on the graves of lost souls. I don't want to be over dramatic, but all that we do as a church is meaningless if the outcome really isn't reaching people who need Jesus. 
Why do we worship? It's not just so we can feel better about ourselves. It's so we can be made whole, get a new glimpse of Him, and go out and share that with somebody. Why are we discipled? We're not discipled just so we can be full of knowledge to the nth degree, but it's got to be translated into precept that we can go out and reach people and share things with people whose lives are falling apart. I understand not everybody's going to be a soul winner. I get that. I really do get that. You just say, Pastor, I don't have that capacity. And I, and I want you to just be at ease. I understand that. Not everybody can be a soul winner. But everybody can be the inviter to the banquet. I don't think it takes that much to just give an invitation. That's all Jesus is asking in this parable. He's not asking them to serve up the meal. He's not asking them to clean up the dishes. He's not asking them to, to give all the points and how this and that works. He's just saying, will you, will you invite them to come? Now, I, I just tell you, for me, I'm just beginning to move, and this has all happened this week, so I'm mobilizing myself. But, but you know what? I'm going to quickly create again, and it's really been a while because this burden has been lost, and we're, we're capturing this burden again. But we're going to do some things here to help to help create some things to put in your purse or in your Bible that you might be able to use to invite people. And so I want to help you do that. But can I just tell you that the greatest program in the world is you. It's not me creating another arm or organization. It's you. It's, it, it, this isn't something just the church does programmatically. This is something we do as the people of God. And, and I'm going to, because it was suggested that I do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set a five-year goal. Now, I want you to re- think about this. In five years for legacy, five years, I'm going to believe God that 25%, a fourth, that means one out of four of you, not all of you, but one out of four of you, 25%, will be a passionate inviter. Now, if you're here today and you say, I don't even know that I can do that, Pastor, then, then maybe you're not the one of the four, and that's cool. Because you know what? I don't know that everybody is. I'm just saying. But I believe that 25% of us in this room today, do you not believe that 25% of us could begin to be passionate inviters? That we could not mobilize to witness for our Lord, to invite people to come to the splashover as it occurs here in a local church? Could you imagine what would happen in five years if 25% of us could just invite one person and, and again, if you're a passionate inviter, I suspect you would invite far more than just one. But, but if just one person from our efforts would begin to come and connect and respond to the invitation to the party. I just did a little, you know, I'm not real good at math, but I can figure up those geometric things like that. Do you realize that if 25% of us in five years just got one person every year just to connect with us, do you realize that Legacy would have a thousand, almost a thousand people here? Is that not a remarkable number? I thought that was pretty remarkable. And I think that's something we need to consider. And right now, I believe that God's going to work on some of you in the next five years, and He's going to talk to you. Maybe He's talking to you right now and saying to you, you know, you need to be a passionate inviter. You, you need to see the reality of the eternal realm. And as you're looking at folks, you need to say, these are folks that need Jesus in some form or fashion. Number two, this is about getting our burden back. Number two, I think we need to let go of the excuse crowd. Now, I want to say this gently and kindly, and I want to say this precisely lest I'm misunderstood. In the parable, Jesus talks about those who give excuses. 
Now, there have been excuses since Jesus' day as to why, whatever, I can't come, I don't want the Lord, I don't want to be in church. I mean, I know there's thousands of excuses, and a lot of us have heard excuses. But basically, the Lord comes to this moment and he says this. He says, let the excuse crowd go. Start inviting those that would really like to come to the party. I believe there is a place for consistent invitation of people we want to see saved. I I believe there's a place for tenacity and resiliency and you work on folk. And I believe that there's a legitimate place for that. But But hear me when I say this. There's a moment, though, that you need to understand that your witness is larger than probably the pond you've been fishing in. That your witness probably involves people that, that you need to come in contact with and sometimes you need to get your focus off the excuse crowd and, and, and turn them loose and begin to say, Lord, show me those who are looking for an invitation to the party. See, I love my family tree. I love everybody in my family. But you know what? In my family tree, some have made up their mind, at least in my presence, to say, I don't know that I want that. Now, I'm going to still do my best to be a witness and share and do those things on those moments. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to burn all my uh, spiritual BTUs up on people who just have become expert excuse givers. It is time we started looking at those who really want to be at the party. And we go to the next person. I mean, I'm not a Calvinist per se, but I have come to the place almost to just embrace Calvinism and say, Lord, show me the elect. Show me those that you're working on. All right, if you're Wesleyan, show me those that your preceding provenient grace is melting their hearts. Show me those. It could be a cashier at a store. It could be a a, a waitress at a restaurant. It could be a work uh, friend that you have. It It could be a teacher your children are going to school with. I don't know. Ask the Lord, where's my next invitation supposed to be sent out to? I mean, we're, we're working on, I'm, I'm just going to, I hope this is, is taken as sort of lightly, but you know what, we're pounding, we're pounding on the doors of the reprobate and their, their hearts and consciences are seared and I'm, and God bless them. I want them to be saved and I will keep working on them as much as possible. And you keep inviting, but you know what, there comes a moment that instead of beating your head against a rock wall, why don't you find someone whose heart is pliable? Come on, ask God to open your eyes to that and begin to invite them in. God has prepared hearts and it's our job to begin to find them the key that jesus said here was don't go looking for the popular the wealthy the professional crowd yeah would i like would i like some professional people that make the big bucks to to get sold out and and all out for jesus absolutely but most of the time you get professional people unless they're in the midst of pain they're their own savior i'll just say it out loud i would i love to see them sure i'd love to see them i want them to come but you know what it's time we we, we, we quit looking for you know the, the the top echelon and why don't we do what jesus did he looked for the poor he looked for the lame he looked for the outcast and you know what they will come they will come when we do what we need to do god can clean them fill them deliver them use them we're just ordinary folks can i hear an amen we are just ordinary people that god wants to use in extraordinary ways i don't need mr big bucks i need god i don't need some professional hoity-toity we need the holy spirit moving in our midst 
We don't need the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. We just need God to move in this place. And if he moves in this place, they'll be beating the door down to get in on this. Amen. That was like a horse that just came up to me and that I jumped on for just a moment. Now we love everybody. Hey, if you've got a multimillionaire that looks like they're ready to receive, hey, go after them. But I'm going to challenge them too. Your obedience is the same as everyone else's. You don't get to sit in the front seat. James said that. You don't get to sit down here. You just sit down and you get discipled like everyone else. Amen. I I have something funny that just went through my mind, but I'm trying to learn not to say everything that pops into my mind. Some of it's the Lord and some of it may not be the Lord. So we'll wait and just let that one. Number three, and I'm done with this. Understanding a full house is God's heart and desire. I saw that in the parable. God wants his house full. He, he said that. He said, he said, compel him to come in, that my house may be full. Do you understand that God wants his house full? And he isn't satisfied until it's full. Pastor Mike Ware said to us at the lunch table, he said, Kevin, you do a lot of great things. He was so kind and complimentary. I don't even know that he understood what he was saying, but it was important. He said, every empty seat, is a victory for the devil. And whenever I see an empty seat, it just makes me mad. I thought to myself, when was the last time I got mad because I saw empty seats? See, around here, we don't believe in giving Satan any victories, do we? Yet how mad are you today and how mad am I that there was somebody that was designed to sit in some of these seats and they aren't here today? We ought to get mad at the enemy. I got a revelation that that God it wants me to take these empty seats personally. It's not a numbers thing, listen to me, because you know, and I preached on this before, it's not a numbers thing, it's a people thing. God loves people. There are empty seats. The bottom line for me is this. I haven't done my job as a pastor. That needs to be a responsibility of mine. To be candid, if there are empty seats, it's not only been uh, on my shoulders, but it's in our, on all our shoulders. Someone needs to be sitting there. Someone needs to be sitting there. Someone needs to be sitting there and there and there and there. And I can point out, someone needs to be sitting there. Because they aren't, they won't hear a message. They won't respond to an invitation. And Satan wins. And it's time to stop putting victories in his column. I'm going to end and we're all done with this. So I was challenged in some areas. Before, during, and after this conference, I was challenged. And I have to get my burden again for the lost. So there are three things I wrote down here and we're done. Can we pray today about getting our burden back? That's the first plan is that we just need to pray, God, put a burden on me again. Cause me to become aware that there are lost people. There are backslid people. There are wayward people. There are all kinds of people around me and all of them need Jesus. I need my burden back. Number two, are there people in your life who are not the excuse crowd that you could put on your prayer list and begin to invite them again. I know that there are all sorts of people that you've been working on. Numbers of you have been working on people. They have a thousand excuses. Can we call a timeout? You keep praying for them, but now it's time to think, are there others that need to go on my prayer list? That they aren't a part of the excuse crowd, but now, Lord, we're going to focus in on them. And how about this? How about if I commit to you, not only that I will join you in this, and I, I will make this a personal lifestyle decision in the Baird household as well. 
But how about if when we gather together, whatever else I may minister, teach, or preach on, I make sure that if you'll get him here, I'll give the invitation. You can count on me. It may not be the major thrust, but there will be a moment that they can respond and say, I, wanna, I, 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 want, I want to get back on target with God. I want to get my heart right with God. If you'll do that, I promise you I'll do this. And if somehow it slips my mind or I forget and, and that's not beyond the realm of possibility, then you can gently remind me and say, Pastor, don't forget the invitation. Is that agreed? Can we do that? Amen. Stand with me.